Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Certain things go hand in hand. They simply go together. Like the old song says, uh, love and marriage, horse and carriage, macaroni and cheese. How about that? For some of you old enough to remember, Tom and Jerry, in uh, today's cartoon parlance, Spongebob and Patrick, soup and sandwich, how about a good movie and popcorn? They just go together. Cereal and milk, eggs and bacon, spaghetti and meatballs, my food list could go on and on and on. Michael and Rick. Salt and pepper, soap and water, we could go on and on and on. And all this carries us to our gospel lesson that Joe just read for this morning where Jesus astonishes the crowds that are observing all of this with his teaching. This is a seminal moment when Jesus is asked to summarize all of the law and all the prophets for those who knew and loved it best. And Jesus says two things. Say it all. And belong together. Hand in hand. Love of God. And love of neighbor. You can't have one. Without the other. Our way in this life. And our. Relationship with God hangs in the balance with just these two concerns. There comes a time, doesn't there, there's this moment in every discussion, every encounter, almost every argument or trial or test or relationship, even in worship, there comes that moment when enough has been said and you simply shut up. Enough words, enough debate, enough hemming and hawing, enough back and forth has been had. You've sat in discussions and meetings like that. Words and sentiment and passion, they only get you so far. And then they run out of steam. This is such a moment, as Matthew tells it, between Jesus and the religious elite. Folks like you and me in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the church folks who'd been publicly examining Him. So one last prickly question, and Jesus responds. And then Matthew tells us from that moment on, No one dared ask him any more questions. End of story. They shut up. (laughs) And if you have one of those Bibles where all the words of Jesus are printed in red, you know, some of you have those. If you have one of those kinds of Bibles, you'll see that the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, up until the days of his death, 
It all belongs to Jesus. It's all red after this last question. They finally shut up. Great last question, though. Surely controversial. How couldn't it lead to some kind of debate or embarrassment? And so without blinking an eye, without so much as a whisper from his personal advisors, without even a deep swallow, Jesus quotes to these good Jews what they already knew by heart. It was the Shema, they call it in the Jewish community. Deuteronomy 6, the command to love the Lord your God above everything and everyone. And they joined it in the Shema to Leviticus 19.18, the command to love our neighbor. These two commandments are the whole enchilada. They go hand in hand. There was nothing new that Jesus said here, nothing controversial. The rabbis had long cited these two principles side by side with each other as a marvelous, concise, uh, total picture. A summation of the law. They taught it that way for centuries. So there is no new information here. But you see, Jesus was on to them. Jesus knew their ploy. Their hope to trip him up in public. Maybe to catch him in a weak moment or a distracted moment. But Jesus has seen through the ploy and he knows what they're trying to do. So he refuses to be tripped up. Simply put, they want to end him. They want to get rid of him. He's a pest. Pesky Jesus. They want to entrap him. They want to entangle him. They want to provoke him. So the questions they're asking are posed not out of a desire to know, not out of a desire to grow, not in a desire to mature in their faith or their walk with God, They want to play theological ping pong. And instead, he gives them nothing. And he gives them everything. Class is over. School's out. They finally shut up. And soon, it's going to look like they get what they're after. If you know the whole of the Gospel. You know that very soon in the Gospel of Matthew... It looks like Jesus has been had. But if you know the whole story, you know that in the end, God wins this thing. Jesus had spent his life and his ministry answering their question. If we want to know what love of God and love of neighbor looks like, I guess we just should look at Jesus. I mean, mental, emotional, theological, gymnastics, those are one thing. They're a fun thing for a lot of people. I mean, I spent lots of years in institutions and around accreditations and around lots of theologians 
and budding wise people hoping to convince others with their words and with their laws and with their creeds and with their dogmas. And then there are those religious folks out there on the what I would call the extreme right who believe that they can argue you or scare you into the kingdom. The ones who knock on your door and say, hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? I told one, I think I'd go in the ground. (laughs) These are religious folks who think they can do that to you. They ask further questions on the same subject elsewhere. They press on in other places of the Gospel. They want to keep talking about it. They want to ask questions like, well, what do you mean by love? Or, who's my neighbor? Jesus, He wants to shift the focus away from words to activity. He wants to shift the the, the vision from head to heart to feet to hands. And Jesus wants to make it personal. Jesus calls them, He presses them on the so what of faith by answering the question beneath their question of what faith looks like. Well, it's simple really, Jesus says. Love God. Love your neighbor at least as much as you love yourselves. And of course, we're all wired for that. So we know how easy that is. How to take care of ourselves. So if you want to know how much to love someone and what love looks like, just think about yourself. Playwright and author George Bernard Shaw, he had it right. He had a great line. He said, Christianity might be a good thing if somebody would try it. Think about how very different the world would be if Christians would just try this. Think about how very different history would be if Christians would just try it. What Jesus is pointing to here is that moment in our lives when words and ideas and creeds and platitudes and doctrine and formula, they no longer do. That moment when faith becomes active in love. But this simple formula will do. Love God. Love neighbor. If someone were to ask you today, what is this church thing all about? What is this this God thing all about? What is your faith about? It's simple. I'm helping you out here. Love God. Love your neighbor. It changes everything. It would change the world. It transforms worship, what we do here, into activity. It transforms justice into acts of kindness and mercy. 
And transformed preaching, which is meant to convert others, is transformed into the convincing of those who are listening to go out into the world with food and with water and with clothing and kindness and friendship and dignity. Global mission is transformed then into saving lives, not just saving souls. Pushes us into sustainable, life-changing projects. It pushes us towards tolerance and mutual respect. And that fear of those who are different from ourselves is transformed into love. I don't know how else to put it. I don't know how much more simple it could be. According to our scriptures, life is to be a love affair with God. Jesus said it this way. Two things go hand in hand. They lay alongside of each other in terms of importance. Neither is greater than the other. Love of God, love of neighbor. Everything else that we believe and we say and do hangs on those two pegs. Simply put, this is our mission. This is why we're here as God's people. This combination laid side by side of equal importance really sets Christianity apart from all of the other world religions. I mean, this is our aim. To love God and love our neighbor. There's no other religion in the world that says that that's why they exist. (coughs) The scathing indictment of religious people who pay more attention to the evening news or book clubs, or yard work, or gardening, or beach time, almost anything else rather than our neighbor. It's a pretty clear statement about those non-religious folks, too, who'd rather give more attention to the neighbor and to the planet than to the God who put the whole thing into existence. You see, as it turns out, according to Jesus, neither God nor our neighbor, is an option. Attending to both, loving both, is inseparable. God is in the neighbor and the neighbor is in God. That's a Christian worldview. It's our mission as God's people. It's what we are to say and what we are to do. And Jesus commands it. to take us back full circle to where I began, there are certain things that seem to go together. They simply belong together. The beach and beautiful sunsets, pen and paper, night and day, wine and cheese, hot cocoa and marshmallows, I notice that I keep coming back to my favorite foods. 
Well, in our walk with God, in a world Christ died to save, loving God, loving neighbor, simply go hand in hand. It's that simple. And yet, it's that complicated and profound. You can't have one without the other. It just doesn't work. Imagine how very different the world would be if we could manage to put those two things together. The bottom line is, Jesus said it, and I believe it. How about you? Amen. Glory be to you, Heavenly Father, through Christ our Lord, who with the Holy Spirit reigns eternally, one God, now and always. Amen.